0: Turn with me to the book of Exodus this morning, and we're gonna be in three different chapters, but all in the same book, okay? I know we have guests here this morning. Marcella has her family uh, with her, and we are thrilled that they are with us this morning. And uh, Janice Mills caught me in the hall, and she said, I know you, and I know you don't. But, we we pastored Janice and her family when when all of us were young when i had hair and our kids were all about that size all about that size and uh, we had a great great time when we we're pastoring several of these folks at Yukon exodus we're going to start in verse in chapter number 30 chapter number 30 Going to read a few passages of scripture there and then we're going to move forward to verse to chapter number 38 and after we read a few verses in that passage we're going to move forward to chapter 40 so 30 38 and 40 if you want to flip ahead and and uh, kind of hold that open where you can get to it and uh, but before I get started, let's, let's do this. We're going to uh, partake of communion after a while at the end of the message. So that everybody is, is there anybody here that didn't get the emblems of communion? Over here, here, we want you to be ready when the time comes. In our church, we celebrate open communion what that means all you need to be is a christian you don't need to be a member of this church if you're here today and you're a christian and you want to receive communion with us then and i saw some hands over here have we got some others that are helping yes yeah back here and those of you that are at home watching online if you have uh, something there that that you can get uh crackers juice something feel free to take communion with us i I told the staff this morning i know the story of a of a certain church where there was a young lady on staff there and she part of her job was preparing the emblems of communion and uh she, she wasn't raised in church but she got the bread and the, the drinks together and it was, it was time to receive communion and the pastor lifted the lid off of the, uh, the containers. You know, we used to have them in little bitty cups and, and he lifted the lid off of the containers and she had filled them with orange Gatorade. <laughs> so he called her aside and he, and he said to her, we use grape juice. For for communion and so the next time rolled around for communion and he lifted the lid off and it was white grape juice (laughs) It's hard to symbolize the blood with white grape juice, but and, and And he told me he said, what do you do? I mean service is going We took communion with orange Gatorade so anyway Whatever you want to use, the Lord understands the the symbolism of things. And uh, we're glad you're here. Exodus chapter 30, beginning to read at verse number 11. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, when you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. And, and, And when you number them, that there may be no plague among them when you, that there may be no plague among them when you number them. This is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give: half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is 20 giras. The half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. Everyone included among those who are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering to the Lord. The rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel. When you give an offering to the Lord make an, to make an atonement for yourselves, and you shall, make, you shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel, and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting, that it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make an atonement for yourselves. Now, move to Exodus 38, starting at verse number 25. And the silver from those who were numbered of the congregation was 100 talents and 1,775 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary a beka for each man that is a half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary for everyone included in the numbering from 20 years old and above for 603,550 men. And from the hundred talents of silver that were cast, were cast the sockets of the sanctuary and the bases of the veil, 100 sockets from the 100 talents, one talent, for each socket. Now move to Exodus chapter 40 and start at verse number one. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, on the first day of the first month, you shall set up the tabernacle of the meeting. The book of Exodus, the second book in the Bible, tells us of the deliverance of the children of Israel from Egyptian bondage. This account informs us of of the events of those first few days, weeks, months, as the children of Israel started their journey across the wilderness headed toward the promised land. Now I hope you realize that the trip wasn't scheduled for 40 years. It didn't have to take 40 years, but because of their stubbornness and because of their disobedience, this trip turned into a 40-year journey. You know why? So God could kill off a generation. I hope God doesn't have to kill off some of us. But that's the reason God had to kill off a generation and so he just let natural attrition take its place, natural health take take its place to where finally a new generation was raised up. But during during this account in Exodus, a substantial part of the record tells us about making of the, the wilderness tabernacle, which was the focal point of Israeli worship for generations after that now I don't I don't know if you've ever studied the tabernacle I know a number of you that have been in our classes on Sunday evening we we took several weeks. Actually took several months some time ago and 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 went through the the study of the tabernacle and the symbolism of the tabernacle. And it in in my opinion it's one of the most fascinating studies in all of the scripture, the study of the, the wilderness tabernacle and the typology and the shadows that that are there. The tabernacle was a spectacular structure. Now if you if you if you look at the scripture you understand that it was a tent. It was a tent building, and you say, how in the world could, could this tent building be a spectacular structure? But one researcher said that in today's dollars, that the, the tabernacle would be worth $57 million dollars. So when you're talking about putting 57 million dollars in any one structure, I'm telling you, my friend, you're talking about something that is spectacular. And this one, the tabernacle itself was 15 feet across, and 45 feet deep, and 15 feet tall. We say, well, that's not very big. No, but it was worth 57 million dollars. And so when you look at that, I don't know whether you do or not, but when I look at that, I say, where did all this money come from? Where where did all of this wealth derive from? Where was it from? So let uh, let me show you an interesting passage of scripture in Exodus chapter three, verses 21 and 22. And it says, and God is speaking here and he says, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall come to pass that when you go, you shall not go empty, but every woman shall borrow of her neighbor. They ransacked the homes of the Egyptians without ever entering them. Okay. Every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and of her that sojourneth in her house, jewels of silver, jewels of gold and raiment, and you shall put them on your sons and upon your daughters and I'm going to insert something here. And when you leave, you will spoil Egypt. They shuffled out as a bunch of slaves, but let me tell you, they were a conquering army because they spoiled Egypt. They spoiled Egypt. The, the primary source of, of the money and, and the materials for the building of the tabernacle was, was from a voluntary offering. In Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 and 2, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering of every man, every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, ye shall take my offering. So it, it, it was a free will offering. Moses said, we're getting ready to build a house for the Lord, and we need money for this. I don't know whether you know it or not, but somewhere down the line, we wanna build another building to to worship, to to do fellowship in around here. We're gonna need money for it, and we're gonna come to you for freewill offerings. You see, that's, that's, what, that's what Moses did. We, we got a, we're taking a free will offering to build a house for the Lord. And so the, the, primary, the primary source was, was a free will offering. But our text, however, provides a second supply of materials. This one, though, is mandatory. The Lord said to Moses, "You go to every man in the camp of Israel." Take a census of the whole camp, but every man in the house of Israel that is twenty years of old, twenty years of age and older, that man should give a half a shekel of silver. And the poor won't give any more or any less, and the rich won't give any more. A half a shekel of silver. And, and that was mandatory. It was called atonement money. It was the money of redemption. Now, the actual value of this tax was not very much. And remember, it was was the same for everybody. I had to look around this morning, I had change in my pocket, but it didn't have any nickels. And I found out from one source that the approximate value of a half a shekel of silver was a dollar and a nickel dollar and a nickel well how did they do anything with a dollar and a nickel but when you when you look at the number that in that congregation of people men 20 years of age and older there were 603,550 of them and not even allowing for inflation that comes to almost $640,000. So that, it might not have been very much, but God knows how to take a little bit and do a lot with it. And even if we just have a little bit, if we'll all put our little bits together, God can do a lot with our little bits, okay? You see, if you're like me, you ask what was the purpose of this mandatory assessment? I looked in several places as I was researching uh, for, for this message this morning, and the best explanation that I found was in the preacher's homiletical commentary, and it says that there were three reasons. First of all, it said we are reminded here that all men are equally recognized in the sight of God. Now, you can change that into person, okay? I'm just reading it the way they said it. Every person is equally recognized in the sight of God though they required the tax of those of men 20 years of age and older the number the census was taken of everybody god cares about everybody i don't care who you are i don't care how young you are i don't care how old you are or wherever you are in between i'm here to tell you god cares about your life this morning god cares about you and wants to work in your life you see god equally recognized every person the second thing that they said is in this particular uh, lesson is that we are reminded that all men are equally guilty before the law of god you see that it was a it was an offering of atonement it was an offering of redemption it was an offering certainly didn't buy their salvation but it symbolized their guilt in the presence of the lord scripture says that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of god every one of us and before the lord without the blood of jesus all of us are guilty all of us are guilty you say yeah but i'm really good (laughs) you're not that good You're not that good, we can't be that good. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So that's the second thing, that all men are equally guilty before the law of God. The third thing is that we are reminded here that all men are equally redeemable through the mercy of God that God has a way, that God has a plan, and that every one of us can have it. You see, redemption in the sight of God is available to all. It's required of all because we're all guilty, but it's available to all. But the cost is the same for everybody. Acts chapter two, verse number 21, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a whosoever plan. All you've got to do is say, I want this. I'm a whosoever. I want this. And it's available to you. You see, the men 20 years of age and up were those that were of the age that they could be a warrior. But not only that, at 20 years of age, they could have been the head of a, of a household. They could have been the head of a family. And so these men became symbolic of all of the camp of Israel. And the Lord said to them, everybody's gotta pay and everybody pays the same. The rich don't pay any more, the poor don't pay any less, everybody pays the same. One of my favorite sayings is the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. No place is that more true than in the typology of the Wilderness Tabernacle. So we're going to spend a little time this morning looking at the typology of... The now, we don't have time to look at it all. If we do that, it, it's really a long study. It's a deep study. It takes a long time to complete it, but we're just going to touch some some high points here this morning and, and to uh, see if we can learn just a little bit about the tabernacle. Okay, let's... Uh, Let's put that uh, insert of the tabernacle up there, okay? Okay, here we go. Here's the tabernacle in the wilderness. The tabernacle in the wilderness, or it's an artist's conception of the tabernacle in the wilderness. The tabernacle in the wilderness had two primary symbolic meanings. First of all, it was symbolic of the life and work of Jesus that he did and does in the lives of believers. That's the first thing. The second thing is that it is symbolic of my life and your life that when we come to the Lord and receive the Lord as our personal savior, that when we do that, the Lord accomplishes this work in our lives. And so the symbols here transfer to the believer who comes to the Lord to receive him as their personal savior. So the tabernacle proper was surrounded by, by a, a cloth curtain, and inside here is called the outer court. Now, if we can get that other insert up there, please. Yes, what I want you to see here is that as we, as we pass through, that, that the tabernacle had several different types of furnishings. These in the outer court were of brass these in the holy place were of gold and this is the most holy place and the most holy place had the ark of the covenant so let's talk about these things for just a little bit the brass altar is the first place that that you approach when when you come into the tabernacle in the wilderness it's the first thing that you see there And it's the place where they offered the sacrifices. It's the place where the priests killed the animals and put them up on the altar and burned them there as a sacrifice to the Lord for the sins of the people. The brass altar, and brass is always symbolic of judgment when you look at that type of symbolism in in the Old Testament. Brass is symbolic of judgment. And when you approach this altar, that altar is symbolic of our confession of sins. I'm telling you, friends, sometimes I'm afraid that in this day and time, that we don't confess our sins enough. That when we fail, we need to come to the Lord and we need to say, Lord, I was wrong. I blew it. I sinned. I need to confess this to you and let you deal with it in my life and in my heart. And so there is the the, the brass altar after the sacrifice was finished at the brass altar, then the priests moved to the laver. Now, some of you will say, what's a laver? I don't understand, what's a laver? But you've got one in your house. You call it a laver Okay, It's just a container for water. And it was the place where after the priests offered the sacrifice and the sins were confessed, they moved to the laver and they washed themselves and cleansed themselves of all of the blood. You, you just imagine with me killing all of those animals and burning all of those sacrifices and putting that all on the altar, they were dirty. They were filthy. Let me tell you something. With the sin remaining in our lives, we're dirty. We're filthy. We need cleansing. And they moved to the laver and they washed themselves off before they entered into the holy place. They cleansed themselves. And so the the altar is symbolic of the confession of sins and the laver is symbolic of the cleansing from sin. And then when you enter into the holy place, this is the place of worship. This is the place where when we get right with the Lord, we enter into it in our lives, in our hearts. We worship the Lord. On the right hand is a table of showbread or a, ta- a, gold, a gold table that is covered with bread and that bread is symbolic of Jesus, the bread of life. And not only symbolic of Jesus, but symbolic of the nourishment that the life of Jesus brings into our hearts and our lives. That 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 bread sat there and it was there all the time. And it was the bread for the priests. When you come to the Lord, when you confess your sins, and by the blood of Jesus you are cleansed from your sins, You enter into this place to where the life of Jesus nourishes you as you worship and serve him with all of your heart and your life. On the other side is a golden, it's called a candlestick. It's really not a candlestick. There really weren't candles there. There were little bowls on the top of these seven stems, and they put oil in there it was a seven stemmed oil lamp but the king james version calls it a candlestick so that that lamp that lampstand with those bowls on the top and it was seven stemmed reminds us of the seven natures of the spirit of god and it, the they were burning all of the time and that oil there symbolizes the work of the holy spirit the light of the holy spirit that's done in the life of every person that comes to jesus as their savior okay now if you move on further you come to the altar of incense and, and I, I saw that and i thought i bet in proportion to everything else that this is really a big altar but the problem is they had to have room to write it on there and so it doesn't match the scale of everything else but the altar the altar was the place that symbolized the 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 burning of the incense symbolized the prayers of god's people going up into his presence all of the time remember paul said to us pray without ceasing that there ought to be an attitude of prayer in our hearts and in our lives all the time. Somebody said, well, there's, you ought to just pray every day. That Praying without ceasing means you ought to pray every day. Other people said you ought to have an attitude of prayer all the time. Let me tell you something, I think both. I think you ought to pray every day. I think you ought to find a place to pray every day. But I also feel like that there ought to be an attitude of prayer, that, that we can get in contact with the Lord. We can send a prayer to the Lord at any time. And so that, that's, what that, that's what that symbolized, the, the prayers of God's people ascending into the presence of the Lord. And then the, when the priests went through the veil and there was a, a very heavy veil, That was right there when the priest went through the veil they came into the holy of holies and again the the uh it's it this is not a a good because it, it was equal equal walls equal across it was it was 15 feet across it was 15 feet deep and it was 15 feet high it was a four square room a four square room and they stepped in and in there they found the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. And of course, the Ark of the Covenant was the place that was the repository of the ten, or, or I say ten laws, of the laws that God had written with his finger on stone. It was the repository of the of the commandments. It was it held a pot full of manna uh, that they had picked up out. You remember when they picked up a manna and took it home, if they got too much, it got wormy, okay? Except, except when they held it over for the Sabbath and God preserved it for the Sabbath. Well, this pot was supernatural, supernaturally preserved and it symbolized God's provision for his people. God still provides for his people. God will take care of us. Now, it may not always be in the style we want it to be, but if we will leave it up to the Lord, He will give us what we need, even though we go through tough trials and tough times. The last thing that was there was Aaron's rod that budded. It was a, an old dead stick to begin with. And there was a controversy in the camp of Israel about who should be the real leader. And so every tribe brought, a, brought a, a, a just a stick laid it out overnight in the presence of the Lord. And God said to them, the one that buds, these, this dead stick, one that buds, will be symbolic of the, of the tribe that will lead this, this congregation. And they put Aaron's rod there, and when they came back the next morning, it had not only budded, but it had bloomed and borne olive, uh, olives, uh, almonds it had borne almonds. So it was Aaron's rod that budded and bloomed and bore almonds. And God was saying to them, I choose Moses and his family to lead the children of Israel. So that, that was in the, in the Holy, Holy of Holies. But as, as you look at the tabernacle, these walls, okay, these three walls were made up of boards that were overlaid with gold. The boards were three inches thick, 20 inches wide, and 15 feet tall, and they were overlaid in solid gold. The boards were acacia wood, and the boards symbolized humanity. The carnal nature, the old man, but the overlay of gold symbolized the divine nature that comes into the life of God's people as they give their heart and their life to the Lord. And the boards were secured on what the scripture calls sockets. Okay, let's look at that next picture. There we go sockets of silver, 15 foot boards, 20 inches across, overlaid in gold, and they sat in sockets of silver. This, this is where our texts intersect. This is where our our scripture and our lesson intersect. This is the intersection. Because you look back, God required a half a shekel of silver as the price of redemption. And here, God puts a foundation of silver speaking to us of redemption. And it is the foundation for our lives. It is the foundation for the child of God who lives for the Lord. So at this point, I want us to talk about three things, okay? Let's talk about the sockets, and let's talk about the soil, and then let's talk about our salvation. The silver in the sockets is symbolic of redemption. The silver reminded every person in the camp of Israel of their sin-guiltiness. and of of their need for forgiveness. And if you will recall, and, and I've emphasized this, if you will recall, the price was the same for every person. Can I tell you this morning that in the presence of God, all people stand on level ground. Remember, the rich didn't pay more and the poor didn't pay less god said the price is the same the price is the same the sockets proclaimed the price of redemption had been paid the price of redemption had been paid so that's the sockets now let's talk about the soil standing on the sockets were the gold-plated boards symbolizing the carnal man that was touched with the divine nature. But the sockets stood on the dirt, stood on the soil. It was the dirt of the wilderness. Somebody told me a story some time ago, a friend of theirs had gone to New York City to work in some office in New York City and they were from Oklahoma and and they took a, a jar and filled it with Oklahoma red dirt. I could do that in my backyard. And this, this guy took this jar, put a lid on it, and he set it on his desk, and somebody came by one day and said, what's that? And he said, it's Oklahoma dirt. He said, no, dirt is not red. Dirt is black or brown, but it's not red. And he said, that's Oklahoma dirt. So I don't know whether the dirt in the wilderness was red or whether it was brown or whether it was black or it was gray or yellow from the sand. I don't know what it was, but the dirt, the soil, represents the world and the life of, of the world and the, and, and the corruption of the world, the sin of the world. That, that was Those sockets sat on that and what happens here is that the silver sockets separate the golden boards from the corruption of the world. I'm here to tell you that the redemption in your life is to separate you from the corruption of the world. is to keep you from being defiled in the presence of God because of the redemption through the blood of Jesus. You see, God called Israel to come out and to be different, to separate themselves from the nature of the world. Acts chapter two, verse number 40, Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost, and the scripture says, and with many other words did he testify and exhort them saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. (coughs) I looked that word untoward up some time ago, and that's in the King James, The, the new King James says perverse. perverse but i looked up untoward and untoward means this warped generation if there has ever been a warped generation it's the one that we live in now and we need redemption to separate us so that when the lord comes back we stand acceptable in his presence so there was the sockets the soil and finally our salvation you see The one price was required of every man and it reminds us of the sacrificial price of the blood of Jesus Christ. The one price that is required for every person's redemption. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 10 says, "By by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once For all no matter your status no matter your wealth no matter your education no matter your position no matter your power in the sight of God we all stand level before the Lord and there is only one way to be saved there's only one way to receive the forgiveness of the sins in our lives. Acts chapter four, verse number 12 says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. The soil of the earth, the corruption and nature of the world, remind us that we have been called to separation and not to indulge in the things not pleasing to our heavenly Father. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, where it says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord. And in 1 John chapter two, verses 15 through 17, John said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Forever. So let me give you some takeaways of this message today. First of all, I will tell you that we proclaim the truth that all have sinned and need a savior. You say, but I was born into a Christian family. No, but you weren't born into salvation. God has no grandkids, just kids, just kids. And we kids must come to the Lord individually and say, it's me, I need need salvation. That all have sinned and need a savior. Secondly, Jesus died as a sacrifice and for the forgiveness that was provided in that sacrifice and that forgiveness is available to every person. Every person. And finally, Scripture proclaims that salvation is available to whosoever. Whosoever. You see, you're a whosoever. I'm a whosoever. And when we come to the Lord, I love that old song that says, Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God. I come. I come. And when we come to the Lord that way and we call upon him and we confess our sins, he cleanses us of our sins. Scripture tells us that he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness.